Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. As was already said, my name is Raul, and I um, I'm just so excited to be here and continue this throwback series with you. Um, before I get into the, the meat of what I'm here to talk about today, just want to give you a little intro about me and, and who I am. Some of you know who I am and have, have heard my story. Others, I may be new to you. Um, so first, let me show you a picture of, of me and, and my family. Um, should be one second, says the man, okay? Vamping, vamping. Yeah, here we go. There they are. Look at us. So the first picture, uh, obviously, that's me and my wife, Kim. We have been married for 23 years, and uh, we have two boys. And uh, incidentally, that picture was taken at the uh, ENC conference in Florida last year. And so, uh, or actually, no, this year. It was at the beginning of this year. And so uh, for you uh, students, get to that conference. Amen. Um, so there's that, uh, my, my beautiful wife. And then uh, next to that, in the, uh, next to us in the middle is our giant son, Jordan. Uh, he's a, a junior in, in college. He is going the junior college route to try to get to play Division One football. Uh, had an injury setback last year that he's recovering from. Um, but as, as big as he is on the outside, his heart is that big on the inside. He is basically a softie on the inside, even though he tries to fight it. But anyway, uh, that's Jordan. And then my senior in high school, my shooting guard uh, in basketball is uh, Ryan on the end there. And he's about to turn 18 in a few weeks. Uh, love him so much, and I miss them all. And then I also just want to tell you a little bit just about my story of coming to faith in Jesus. My, my story uh, starts with um, two parents who were not very religious or Christian at all. My uh, dad uh, came from a very broken home, both parents alcoholic. Um, his, his grandparents were from Mexico and uh, struggled a lot to, to make a life here in the States. And so my dad grew up you know, being beaten almost every other day, which pushed him into a life of, of joining a gang and living that life for a while in L.A. And uh, my mom uh, grew, grew up in Cuba, and she came here when she was about 10 and wasn't very religious at all. She um, kind of culturally Catholic, I guess, at best, came to the States, met my dad in middle school, and uh, later on, they got married and had me and my sister. And we grew up not going to public school because my parents didn't appreciate the public schools in L.A. very much. <laughs> and they thought, let's put them somewhere else. So even though we weren't necessarily Christian, they put us in Christian school. Uh, and so from kindergarten through graduation of high school, I went through Christian school my whole life. And um, there was a, a time and a season where we did go to church as a family, but I was short-lived. But I was around Christianity, around the Bible and the stories therein my whole life. Um, and my perception of God was that he was real, uh, powerful, um, probably should do your best to kind of follow what he, what he says, but that he was very distant, that he was um, this powerful entity that basically was just there to kind of keep tabs on you. Basically, just make sure you don't do anything majorly wrong and, and, and 
basically keeping a, a score scorecard of the good and bad that you would do. And so he's distant. And so that's my perception of God throughout all of that time. And then my uh, last couple years of, of high school, um, I, I got my first girlfriend. Ooh. And, and that really revealed what was actually in my heart and that it wasn't a friendship with Jesus that was there, but it was just kind of just a re- religious affiliation to Jesus. It wasn't following him like a friend. And so uh, I come into my freshman year at UCLA where I went and graduated from, and uh, my very first day on campus, I ran into an every nation campus minister. And that began my journey of understanding who Jesus is. And about two weeks after that uh, encounter with that minister, um, the, the campus director at the time, a guy named Greg, he was the pastor on campus, he uh, approached me one day, he saw me walking, and I told this to some of the students earlier this week, but uh, this, this guy saw me from a distance walking up what's known as Bruin Walk, it's the main thoroughfare on campus, and he, he said later uh, to me, he told me that he had prayed and asked God to give him something for me that would impact my life. And sure enough, that's what happened. I came walking up Bruin Walk, and he kind of flagged me down. And I had met him a few weeks ago, but only knew his name. That was it. And he, he really only knew my name. We didn't really know each other well. And so he pulls me aside, and, you know, we start chit-chatting, like, hey, how you doing? How's classes? Blah, blah, blah. And then the conversation turns. And it turns into this moment where he's telling me everything that's going on in my life, everything I thought was a a neat, nice, tight secret that only I knew about. Somehow, this stranger knew about. Because the God who was actually very close was revealing that fact to me, that he is actually very close. And as the perception I had of him of being very distant, what I was hearing this stranger say to me from God was revealing that he was actually very, very close. And so at around noon on Bruin Walk with literally thousands of students passing by, I'm in a puddle of tears crying, giving my life to Jesus for the first time, really. And that started what began there at 19, uh, has continued to this day of understanding how close he is. And even when things get hard and things are confusing and things don't make sense, uh, he's there. And every good thing that is in my life, including the picture of my family you saw and many, many other blessings in my life are all because he revealed himself as a God who is near. He is not distant, but he is near and near to every one of you in this room as well. So that's a little bit of my story. And it actually plays in perfect for what I get a chance to share with you this morning in this series that you guys are going through called Throwback, where you're looking at some Sunday school classics, so to speak. Now, I, I didn't go to church a ton as a kid. I had Bible classes, you know, every Christian school kid does. But um, I, didn't, I don't remember hearing this story necessarily so much in Sunday school and the times that I went. Um, definitely heard it in, in Bible class. But I, I definitely heard it from very one narrow strip of, of what was going on in this story. And it's the story of the woman at the well. The woman at the well. And so some of you who have been in church and have, have read your Bibles a lot, you, you understand this encounter. And I hope to shed new light on it. I hope to bring uh, maybe some clarity to it and some encouragement to it. And I think no matter where you are, whether you're an experienced follower of Jesus or this is something very new to you or maybe you're still just kind of checking it out, wherever you are in your journey, I think you're going to get something out of this as we unpack this story today. 
So if you wouldn't mind, would you pray as we just dive into God's word? Pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for this, this church, this body of believers, this light in the city of Eugene. And I pray today that as we unpack the story of your son encountering a woman at a well, that somehow that, that story from so many years ago would impact us right now in this moment and in this place. Be with us now as we unpack your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we all know the feeling of having really high expectations of something and then being let down. Do we not? We've all had that. In fact, in the last three years, starting in March 2020 till now, it's almost a seemed like a series of unfortunate events that continue to let us down. Even to this day with what's going on overseas, it's just bad news after bad news. And, and just when it seems like we're maybe headed towards something better, something else comes and knocks us back. And we're like, what is happening? We all know what it feels like to, to have a high expectation of something and be let down. On a, on, a light, on a lighter side, I remember being let down. <laughs> One of the times, you know, in our, our movement, Every Nation, our ministry movement called Every Nation, we do a lot of conferences in Orlando, Florida. That's a, a good and bad thing, um, especially when it's July and it's like 9,000 degrees outside and it's humid and you have to take a shower like eight times a day to feel clean. But anyway, um, we went to Orlando, like one of the first times we went as a family for one of these conferences and we went to the Magic Kingdom, which is like the Disneyland equivalent. You know, I'm from L.A., born and raised in L.A. My dad worked for Disney when I was a kid, so we got free tickets to Disneyland my whole life, uh, almost my whole life, much of my growing up. And so I had this expectation that the Magic Kingdom in Orlando was going to be like what I experienced, but like just up a few notches. And I was like, let's go. And so we got tickets, and, you know, I had to sell a kidney to get those tickets. But anyway, um, (laughs) so we get these tickets. We go, and, and me and my wife are like, there's no magic. Where, where's the magic? Like, it's, it, they got the rides, and everything looks like it. It smells like popcorn, like Disneyland does. It smells like churros. But it, there's, no, there's no magic to this place. And I felt so disappointed. I was like, I had such a high expectation, and I was just completely let down. We've all had those moments, some on the lighter side like that, and some on, on a very deep side. What about putting in some real time and energy and effort into something for a long time and being let down, like a type of career or a dream? And this thing that maybe you say to yourself, like, once I have this, once I reach this or accomplish this, this will fill my cup. This will make me feel like I've arrived. Or, as, or what we do now as we, we've changed this of, of not... Not to, I, it's not about reaching this goal. It's like the journey is the destination. And, and just enjoy the journey. And, and, and all we've basically done is put the high expectations on the journey rather than the goal. But in any, in any case, we still have these, uh, these moments and these journeys and these destinations, these goals that we put such high expectations on to do something for us and we get let down. And at the heart of those expectations, I believe, is a, is a hope of fulfillment. A hope of fulfillment. That with this process, this journey, will it be satisfying to me? 
And, and not just a satisfaction like, oh, will I like that? Like, will I look back fondly on that and, and appreciate it? But will it actually tap into that thing inside of me that needs, that needs a deep satisfaction, a type of soul satisfaction and fulfillment? As human beings, we are wired to try and find those things that would tap into that. We're made in the image of God. However, that image has been marred. Has it not? It has been. It's been marred. It's been marred from what God intended it to be inside of us, and it has been marred by what the Scriptures call sin. And now that marring causes us to look for fulfillment in things that were never intended to fulfill us like the one whose image we were made in. And so we get let down a lot. Because those things, those journeys, those goals, those destinations, they're, they're flawed. Nothing this side of heaven in this created world was ever intended to tap in to that part of your soul the way the one who made your soul can. And we end up asking eter- this internal question of ourselves many times, and I've done this over the years when I've been let down. I've asked, will I ever experience true fulfillment? Will I ever stop putting my hope in things and people and goals and processes and dreams and careers? Will I ever stop doing that and, and put my hope truly in the one who made me and knows me? We sang about it today. The, the song we sang, Graves into Gardens, it said, I searched the whole world. And then what's the next part of the line? And it couldn't fill me, right? We've all experienced that being let down. By the thing you searched out for, the thing you put in time and energy to, the thing you put in your heart into, and then you get the thing, and it's like, is this all there is? <laughs> I come from a, a place that a lot of people would say is a, a place of hopes and dreams. People come from all over the world to try and find Fulfillment in some sort of dream in the entertainment industry or tech industry. They come from all over the world to try to find fulfillment. And it's and as much as you may or may not understand L.A. to be a glamorous place, it's also a very sad place because people come and put so much hope in these things and get let down. In our passage of Scripture in John 4, Jesus, so if you want to turn to your Bible, go to John 4. In our passage of Scripture today, Jesus has this incredible encounter with the woman who has been let down and is hurting. And he shares with her the greatest news about who he is and what he has come to do, not just for her, but for all of us. And so let's start at the beginning of this encounter. John 4, verse 3. We're going to go through verse 9 for right now. And so it says, So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. These are all important details. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So as we begin to unpack, we need to understand 
Why is this woman shocked? She's shocked that Jesus is engaging her in conversation. She's shocked that he would engage her in conversation. Why? Because Jews did not deal with Samaritans. Jews thought engaging with the Samaritan, talking with them, relationally interacting with them, would actually make them ceremonially unclean. Can you imagine that? That just by talking to someone, you would now have to go through this whole process to become clean again. And this speaks to a historic dispute between Jews in the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. It's a historic uh, rift between these two groups of people. And so, on top of that, rabbis, which Jesus is considered one, didn't talk to women in public alone. It's kind of a no-no. You didn't do that. And so all these boundaries of the day that would have kept Jesus and this woman separate and unable to connect, Jesus is moving right past those to reach this woman. This is a picture for us of how Jesus pursues us. It's how he's right, even right now, as I'm talking, he's pursuing your heart. And the things that we think should keep us outside of experiencing all that Jesus is and all he has to offer are not borders or boundaries to him. All of the things that you may have done or thought or, or had a motivation to do that were wrong or that you perceive as wrong or maybe somebody, that somebody told you that you were wrong. God does not look at those things as a, as a means to keep you out, but he sees those things as even more incentive that he's got to get to you. That he's got to get to you. And he's doing all he can all the time. In fact, right now, he's doing all he can to move right past whatever borders or boundaries you may have that you feel keep you separated from him, he's trying to get to you. Think about it. Jesus did not have to stop in this town. In fact, I would imagine his disciples were a little confused. Why are we even going through Samaria? Most of the time when Jews had to get uh, to north, they would go around Samaria. They would add days travel to uh, to their trip so that they could just avoid that area of the world. But Jesus goes right through it. I would imagine the disciples, who are good Jewish men, are like, what are we doing? But he saw this woman before he saw this woman. Do you know what I'm saying? He saw her in his mind's eye and thought, I got to get to her. And so it's true for you. Jesus is pursuing you. He's wanting to reveal himself to you, who he is and what he's really about. And he will not be held back by whatever border you put up or whatever border people put up around you trying to say that you should be distant from this holy and good God. And so we go on into the story, verse 10, John 4. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Say living water. Living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's she's not getting it. (laughs) Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water 
so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So now Jesus begins to try to unpack for the woman who he is and what he has to offer. And he stays on theme. He's using the metaphor of water since they are near a well. He's using the concept of thirst to try to pursue this woman in relationship and understand, help her understand who he is. He's trying to help her see what he's offering goes beyond what the physical realm can tap into. And the thirst he's referring to is speaking to a deep down spiritual thirst. Do we not understand this? That each and every one of us have experienced. Even if you can't put words to it, even if you can't necessarily say it that way, the way I just did, there is a longing, there is a need, there is a craving for something meaningful and real and anchoring to our souls. And no matter whether you are religious or not, whether you believe in God or not, every human being is created with that longing. Something that will fulfill us. Something that will make us truly fulfilled, truly gratifying. Something that is like when you're so thirsty and you can't wait to get that drink. You've been working so hard, maybe out in the hot sun or after a, a good workout or something, and you haven't had any water, and then you finally get to the water fountain or somebody hands you a drink, and you drink that, and the feeling that that feels like just, ah, oh, that tastes good, right? But that gratifying feeling for that moment, for that type of water, is short-lived, right? Because I'm going to need another drink of water just very shortly thereafter. And the things of this world, the things that we pursue in this life, the things that we think are the most important things and that we run after and we go after, they're just like that. You're going to keep needing to get another hit of that to try to keep satisfying you. But it wears off. It wears off. Jesus is offering a type of living water that taps into the deep longing for satisfaction that we have. And that once we take in this water, our soul will become so fulfilled and gratified that it won't need anything else. It won't need anything else. And so Jesus is offering you a gift and a promise. He's offering this woman a gift and a promise to have the anxiety of wondering if I'll ever be satisfied, go away forever. To have the disappointment of being let down by things we thought would satisfy, go away forever. To the seemingly endless search for fulfillment, Jesus is offering something otherworldly and supernatural to this woman and to you and I. And it taps into the longing we know is there and have our doubts about whether or not it will ever truly go away. What Jesus is trying to communicate to her is so vast and so mind-blowing that the Samaritan woman is having trouble grasping what he is saying. Even though he's talking about living water, she's still stuck on the concept of like physical water, which I would be right in the same boat with her. I'd be like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And so Jesus does something that helps her understand the supernatural nature of who he is and what he's talking about. And so the scripture goes on in the story. Going now, John 4, starting in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now this is the part that you may not have heard in, in Sunday school. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too 
risque for, you know, little kids to hear in Sunday school. Leave that part out. All right. And so verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> I love that. To be a fly on the wall of that conversation, to hear her say that back to him, it's so great. Now, here's where I might take us in a little bit of a different direction than maybe how you've heard this story retold and preached. And I'm not trying to be blasphemous. I'm not trying to be controversial. But I, I have a, maybe a little bit of a different take than maybe what you've heard. Jesus doesn't ask her to go get her husband to shame her or call her sin out. Many commentators, and I've read a ton of them, and I'm, I'm no scholar by any means. I don't have a lot of letters after my last name. But with all the studies I've done and the things that I've read, there are many commentators that suggest that Jesus is calling out this woman for her sin in this moment. And that she is some type of adulterous woman with this dark past of having five husbands and who she is now is not her husband. And Jesus is calling that out. And you can read a tone into it if you think that's what Jesus is doing. Go get your husband. That's right, you don't have a husband. You actually have had five. And you can just read, you can just read this tone into it if you think what Jesus is doing is judging her. He's not judging her. I don't think that what Jesus is doing is calling her out for her sin. I think he's calling out her pain and disappointment. He's calling out her pain and her disappointment. He's calling out how she has been let down by a culture, by a system that should have protected, cared for, and loved her. Women in this day had little to no rights and were often viewed as property by their husbands. And women could rarely, if ever, initiate a divorce. A man, however, could issue a certificate of divorce anytime he wanted for nearly any reason he wanted. Plus, the woman in this, in this time, they traditionally married very young, and the men that they, were mar they married were much, many times much older than them, so the husbands would die first leaving the woman vulnerable within a culture that forced women to be connected to a man to simply survive. On top of that, Jesus never calls this woman out for being a, quote, sinful woman. He never says, go and sin no more to her. He did to another woman, but he didn't say that to her. Why would he leave that out? If this woman is so horrible in her past, having had five husbands and all this, Jesus brings up her current situation and her past, I believe, to show her that he sees her and that I have seen you. And I relate very much to this woman because the story I told you about when I came to faith in Jesus when I was 19 was very much that kind of moment for me. For all I see you. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to tell you all about yourself through this stranger who knows nothing about you. But he's just going to be a vessel of mine to prove to you that I am actually very close. I relate a lot to this woman. 
I see your life. I see where you have been let down. I see where you put your trust in someone and were left hanging. See the pain you're in. And as before, Jesus is doing the same with us today, letting you know and that it is good news that he sees you. He sees you. He's near. He's closer than you ever give him credit for. He's there in the good. He's there in the bad. He's right there. Even Paul, when he was trying to explain to the Athenians who he was and what he was like, he said to them, he said, as a a continuation of a thought, he said, uh, even so, God is closer and and he is actually uh, all around us uh, that we might feel our way towards him. That's what he said to the Athenians. He's right here. He's relationally distant from you, but he's actually very, very close. You understand the difference? You ever been in a room with somebody and felt 100 miles away from them? Why? Because there's beef, right? (laughs) There's something that you guys need to work out. And so even though you're sitting next to them, you're like, we ain't cool. (laughs) Mm -mm. I am not talking to you. So the proximity, you're very close. You're within feet of each other. But relationally, hundreds of miles apart. So God is close. He's near you. He sees you. And now he wants to make up that bigger gap of the relationship gap. He sees your disappointment. He sees how you've been let down. He sees how you've been abandoned. He keeps on telling you, I see you. And so the dialogue goes on. The dialogue goes on for a couple more verses. And in John 4, 26, having told her who he was and what he offered her and proving his identity by telling her something about herself that he couldn't humanly know since he had just met her, Jesus makes it plain by saying to her, I am the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Savior, Messiah, who rescues us from past hurt, pain, disappointment, and offers us a type of soul water that not only has the power to heal those past pains and disappointment, but also has the power to truly fulfill and satisfy your soul. And because of the intentionality of Jesus to pursue her, just as he's pursuing you right now, and because Jesus supernaturally revealed to her that he sees her, And because Jesus was so lovingly patient with her to help her understand who he is, the Samaritan woman, who was, by all accounts, according to many Jewish folks at the time, on the outside looking in, comes to believe in who Jesus is. And she taps into this living water. What happens next? She's so overjoyed. She runs to her neighbors and tells them about Jesus. And droves of others have been told, uh, and droves of others who have been told that they were on the outside looking in too, as Samaritans were told consistently all the time that they were, they come to faith in Jesus as the Savior of the world. In this passage, Jesus makes a bold, very bold statement about who he is and what he offers. He's the Savior of the world, he's the giver of living water. And he offers true and deep satisfaction for everyone who knows what it means to be let down and be disappointed. So my invitation to you is to receive who he is and what he has to offer.
and to not wait, but to take it, even today. You never know that maybe today is your woman at the well moment. And not to say there won't be other moments where that you could have an encounter with Jesus and have that opportunity to receive his living water again down the road, but you don't know. <laughs> None of us know. I have a flight on Thursday morning to go back home. Will I make it there? I don't know. I hope I do. I'd like to see them again. <laughs> but I don't know. We bank so much that we've got time. We bank so much that I need to think more and, and process more, and, and I'm all for that. But maybe today's that day for you. And don't discount what God might be trying to say to you in his pursuit of you today. Whether you're a believer or not, that he sees you. What does that mean to your soul when you hear that God sees you? Does that make you sad? God, you've, you've seen me this whole time and you still let me go through this pain? Does it make you anxious? Like, God, you've seen everything? <laughs> However way you respond to that, the hopeful intention of Jesus upon you hearing that is that it would warm your heart. That the God of all creation, the God who creates things just by saying it, would want to be near to you. And although that can be a fearful thing at times, it's actually supposed to be a very comforting thing. Because he doesn't come to judge you and sit there and call out, quote unquote, your sin. He comes to put you in right standing with him. Put you in deep, meaningful relationship with him. And yeah, that'll mean sin getting called out, and that'll mean things changing, and so on and so forth. But what he wants most of all is not to have you be judged, but to have you become a friend. That's what he wants. I don't know how you would have reacted to a woman like that at the well, knowing her past like that. I don't know how you would have reacted. I, I, I hope I would have reacted kindly. But doesn't it surprise you the way he reacted to her? Doesn't it surprise you that instead of having all the moral high ground to belittle her and, and make her feel bad about herself. What did he do? He was so patient and gentle and drew her into a conversation and told her about her past and her present, not to hurt her, but to put her hurt in perspective and to help it be a doorway into seeing that who God is and what he is like and what he has to offer. So God's invitation to you today is not a, a, uh, an invitation to harm you in some way, but his invitation is to draw you in deeper, deep, meaningful relationship, one that you could hopefully come back one day and look and say, my soul was truly satisfied right there, right there. I look back at 19 with my similar woman at the well moment that I had on my campus, and I thank God that he did it. There's been painful moments since. There's going to be painful moments after today, too. But what I have come to experience as a follower of Jesus is that this very powerful, all-knowing God somehow is the most gentle and loving, 
most beautiful, humble God that you could ever possibly imagine, and what he wants so deeply for you is for you to know him, know him, know him deeply, know him from the heart. And he wants that to become so deep within you that it would, just like with the Samaritan woman, that then many would hear through you what, you, what he is like. Amen? So as we respond in worship today, I'm going to invite Chris and, and the team to come up. I want to I just propose maybe a couple things to you. One, that if, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you are loved. So deeply loved that you cannot possibly fathom the depths to which you are loved. So loved. And God is extending an offer to you to know him today. And so I pray that you would either today in this moment, maybe as we worship or maybe later on today or maybe later on in this coming week, that you would respond and say, yes, I want to know. Which in responding, yes, I want to know, means that you come to him like this, open-handed. It's a picture of surrender. And open-handed means uh, I come with nothing in there. Nothing. I don't have anything to offer God. I don't have anything to get him to be on my side. I, don't, I can offer nothing, and so I just give what I can, which is this, and here it is, God, you can have it. And then the relationship can begin. So that's if you've never chosen to follow Jesus. But for those of you who have, I, I would just like to ask you this very simple question. It's how close are you? How close are you? Again, I ask that not in judging fashion, but just because I know that if you're not close as close to Jesus as you should be, you're probably closer to other things that you shouldn't be. And what that means then is that you're putting hope and fulfillment and gratification in things that will ultimately hurt you, harm you, leave you hanging and disappoint you. And then what happens to people who are, are with Jesus but not very close to him is that they blame that disappointment on God. When God's all the while saying, I I've been here. I want to be near you, but you haven't let me in over here. And I'm, I'm not going to shove my way toward you. I'm going to gently invite you in, and you get a chance to respond. And so the, the how close you are question is, is just very a very simple one to, for you, you to assess as a follower of Jesus. How, how close are you? How close are you to him? And does he have all the keys to all the rooms? all the keys to all the rooms that you're not holding back that one little spare key to that one little part of your life that I'm just going to hold on to that can I, add, can I just gently plead with you give him all the keys to all the rooms let him have his say in all of them and the, the satisfaction that he offers the gratification he offers the living water that he offers truly be tasted once you give them all the keys to all the rooms. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful church. 
Thank you for every person that is here. And I pray, God, that we could all, by your grace, sense you're drawing us in. Lord, as powerful as you are, you're just as loving. So, Lord, I pray that we could sense both in this moment. You're drawing us to you. So whatever gap there may be between us and you, Lord, let it be taken up right now. That out of a choice, out of our own will, that we would hand all the keys to every room to you and taste of that living water that truly satisfies. In Jesus' name.